Thank you. Well, do you ever get those days when you feel that your sermon might have already been preached and that God possibly went before you? Because my subject today is about fear and anxiety. It's a joyful thing to preach on, isn't it? But I know that God's got some things to say to us. So I want to start by saying, my name is Sarah Cosgrove, and sometimes I get anxious, and sometimes I get scared, and sometimes I feel weak. And there was a time when I would have hardly dare admit that to myself, and I definitely wouldn't have admitted it to any of you. But I'm happy to say that we're in a different time now. We're in a different culture. And there was also a time where, if I had admitted that, some helpful soul would have probably said to me, well, where is your faith? I'd like to tell you where my faith is, okay? My faith is in the God who answers by fire. My faith is in the God who calls things that are not as though they are. My faith is in Jesus who holds all things together. My faith is in him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that I can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in me. But nevertheless, it seems that anxiety and fear are very real. And I know that there's people here that are living with very genuine mental health Um, challenges and my objective today is not to bring a glossy message that says if we all just pray a bit more and be a bit more positive and believe a bit more then everything's going to be okay but what I do bring is what God has shown me through my own experience and one of the first things I want to do is talk about our weakness There's a song that we used to sing. I don't know if any of you remember it. Uh, Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. It's a good song. And the chorus says, And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for me. And it seems to me that we're quite good, although it's not easy, we're quite good at saying, I need this, Lord. I lack this. I have this material need. And we're actually quite good sometimes at telling other people as well. And what we're really good at is being able to say, oh, look, there's a need over here. Let's meet that need. We are generous. We are good at giving our money, at at, um, giving meals, um, uh, at collecting goods that are needed. We're really, really good at that. But there doesn't seem to be such a great platform for, actually, I'm weak. What do we do about that? And one of the things that we do is we seem to go straight to, I am strong. And now let the weak say, I'm strong. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. I'm strong, I'm strong. Not strong, I'm strong. I'm strong, I'm strong. Because the word of God says I'm strong, so I'm strong, so I'm absolutely strong. But actually, what we've missed out on is a process. What we've missed out is the waiting. You'll remember that James brought a word last week about the value of the waiting. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dan brought a word about the value of the waiting. And, and I really value a process. I don't always stick to them, but I do value a process. And, and they are important. And there is a process here. 
And the process is being able to say, I am weak. The process is being able to come to God, maybe come to somebody else and say, I am weak. Because the weak say, I am strong. Not those that are pretending to be strong. It just doesn't work. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm not sure I've got to the stage of delighting in weakness or in insults or in hardships. That's quite something. But I have got to the stage of being able to say, I'm not always strong. Sometimes I'm weak. Sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I'm anxious. But Paul hasn't skipped the step. And why do we find it so hard sometimes to do that? Because there is no shame. There is no shame in being able to say I'm weak. There's no shame in being able to say I'm anxious. There's no shame in being able to say I'm scared. Are we all right over there? Do we need any help? You want it? I'll just carry on then. Tell me if you need me. But there's no shame in being able to admit that we're not coping, that things aren't going well for us. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible of people that are scared. Now, the sudden appearance of an angel seems to engender fear in most of the people that encounter them. With good reason, it's quite surprising, isn't it? But in Luke 2, the angel appears to the shepherds and he says, do not be afraid. In Luke 12, Jesus tells the disciples not to worry. Not to worry about a thing. Not to worry about what they eat, about what they drink, about what they wear. And if we don't see these examples through the right lens, it's easy to slip into the mindset of, I must not worry. I must not worry. The Bible tells me I must not worry. So therefore, I must not worry. And you know what? That just makes us worry more. It is very counterproductive. But when the angel speaks to the shepherds, what he's really saying is, it's okay. You don't need to be frightened. It's all good. And further on in Luke 12, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I love that. Do not be afraid, little flock. We are powerful people, but we are his little flock. And he looks after everything about us. When the Bible tells us not to be afraid, these are words of love. They're words of reassurance. They're not words of rebuke. And my first point is, know how much you are loved. When you hear the Holy Spirit speak, when you feel prompted, when you're reading the word, read the word, hear from God, hear from others through the lens as one who is completely and utterly loved. Let's look at 1 John 4, verses 16 to 18.
it starts off, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's a great starting point. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How do you read this? What do you think this says? There is no fear in love. Perfect love dries out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Do you read this and think, well, I experience fear, so obviously I don't love God enough. If I really loved God, I wouldn't be scared or anxious. I will never be perfect because sometimes I experience fear. If that's how you read that passage, then you're looking the wrong end down the telescope. So let's look at that passage through the lens of unconditional love. And this is what it says. My love for you is so great that you don't need to be afraid. My love for you is so perfect that it completely overwhelms fear and makes it ineffective. The one who fears hasn't yet understood how vast and how unending my love is for them. That's how we read it. That's how we understand what God is saying to us. That his unconditional love means that we are completely and utterly loved. Can you see that looking the right way through the telescope makes the love bigger and the fear smaller? Sometimes our source of anxiety lies with people and the things we can't control about them. Boy, am I speaking to myself here. I'm a bit of a fixer. I like to fix people and I like to know that they're okay. But you know what? I can't fix everybody and I can't make them okay. Sometimes it's about the decisions they make, the circumstances they are in, or our relationship with them. And the Apostle Paul was no stranger to this. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Now, the context of this verse is that Paul wants to go and see the church in Corinth for a third time. But relations have broken down. There's been some grumbling. But Paul really loves these people. And he is really concerned that they haven't made good decisions and that things are not going well for them. 
And when things are not good with the people that we love dearly and the people that we are invested in, it's really hard to sit by and watch things happen. And as people join us, we talked about people coming to belong, haven't we? As the belongers come and we invest ourselves in them. What if they make bad decisions? What if we see them going off the rails? What if we see them doing things that that it's really hard to watch them do? It can really affect how we treat people and how we relate to them. So let's turn over the page to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 9. We're still in the same story. And this is what Paul says. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not just for tearing you down. Paul prays for restoration of these people. He's afraid of what he might find, but his heart is for restoration. He wants to deal with these things openly, but in a measured way and not harshly. And my second point is, when you do feel anxious or fearful, take time with God to reset your compass. I feel like we're definitely on a journey because we've had a telescope and now we've got a compass. Take time to reset your compass, to breathe, to read, to pray, so that even though the situation might be difficult, and even though you cannot control what happens, the way that you behave and relate is not from a place of fear. I remember saying recently to some of my colleagues, oh, I've just run out of grace for this situation. I'll just need to go and spend some time with God. But actually, what I was saying was, I'm scared. I'm scared that this situation will not be resolved. And I could feel my slide into bad attitude. But I recognized it. And I knew that I just needed to get with God and just reset my compass and just be re-energized in my faith and just to know that he is in control. And you may have heard it said, I like this phrase, that we don't partner with fear. I know it's one of John's phrases that I've learned from him. And I've learned some things about not partnering with fear from him as well. But, and what does it mean? There are circumstances and things that make me anxious. But the only person I can control is me. But that doesn't mean that when I get fearful, I invite fear home for a cup of tea. Let it bunk in the spare room. Let it take a place in my life. I'm just not going to do that. Because when we start to operate out of fear, it makes us defensive. It makes us closed up. It makes us spiky. It makes us ineffective. Do you ever feel yourself getting like that? I do. But I know now. I've learned. Hang on. What is it? What is it that's driving me here? What is it that I'm scared of? I need to kind of take a few steps back. And likewise, people that we encounter, people that we love, people that are going to come amongst us, they may be very defensive. They may be scared. They may be a bit spiky and a bit unfriendly. But what is it that's driving them? See, what drives us to them is unconditional love. 
But what is it that's driving them? Step back and just think, what could this person be afraid of? Let the fear and anxiety drive you towards Jesus, not back towards the source of the problem. Partner with faith. Make faith a cup of tea. Invite faith in. Let them bunk in the spare room. Invite faith into your house. Invite faith into your thoughts. Invite faith into your conversation. Invite faith into your prayers. I remember as a teenager recognizing this behavior in the parents of some of my friends. Now, my parents um, were older parents. My dad was 55 when I was born. Um, I had a brother who was 10 years older than me, so he'd done it all. So it was great. I I didn't have to worry. I wasn't paving the way in teenage rebellion. And I never really did, to be honest. But my parents were very measured in their reaction. If if something went wrong, um, they were brilliant. They, They were... There was no knee-jerk reaction in our house. Um, but I could see in the parents of friends when they had rebelled or when they had done something usually dangerous. At one point, I remember one of my friend's brothers actually stole a car. Now, th- those are dangerous things. They're going to get you in trouble with the police. They're not little things. But their reaction was out of fear. And... These people were told what they were going to do. They were going to be grounded. What would happen to them? And this and that and bish, bash, bosh. And everything was nailed and battened down. And that was that. And it was out of fear. And the thing about fear is it doesn't bring out the best in us. And it doesn't bring out the best in other people. So it, it blots out and it, it, well, it, it wrecks relationships and it breaks things down. So if we can not operate out of fear, but we can operate out of faith, if we're self-aware enough to know when our behavior is in decline and just think to ourselves, hang on a minute, what am I scared of here? What, what am I doing here? Then that will really help us in our relationships. Is it possible to conquer fear and anxiety? Or do we just have to live with it? I think back to the waiting What if the situation you're in is really hard or really scary? What are we going to do? And we have had some fantastic testimonies here. I think of Brian's testimony of where he's been able to say, I am not scared. He's in a scary situation, but he is not scared. I have really drawn strength from that. I've sought to understand that. And I do believe that even though we can be in genuinely difficult situations, we can conquer fear and anxiety. One of the things that helps me is knowing what the Bible says and reminding myself of it. And I've committed Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 to memory. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I won't go so far to say it's a mantra, but I have made that verse readily available to myself and repeat it on many occasions. And it's just something that that we can do. And the most important thing about these powerful verses 
is that it doesn't reassure me that everything is going to turn out beautifully in the end. It doesn't reassure me that there is a fairy tale ending. But what it does reassure me is that no matter what, the peace of God will guard me. And my final point is, surrender the outcome. Surrender the outcome of what might happen. Are we trusting God that everything will be made right? Or are we trusting God that no matter what happens, he'll be there? That he will give us the sufficient grace we need? That he will work all things together for good? Of course, we're believing for the best. And sometimes you get a prompting from the Holy Spirit and you just know how things are going to turn out. You just know that your prayers have been answered. And I'm not talking about fatalism or passive acceptance. I'm talking about that active waiting that believes for the best, but that knows whatever happens, he's got you. Whatever happens, he's got you. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, who seems to be a master of this subject, talks about his thorn in the flesh, some sort of affliction that he has. And he says in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What we get is God's sufficient grace. We don't always get a fairy tale ending. And sometimes I find myself trusting God for a particular course of action because, of course, I know what should happen. And I'm like, Lord, this is a really difficult situation. If you could just do this, this, this and this, then it's going to be all fine. And then I sit back and then I'm niggling away. At, if he does this and then he has to do this and this. And I kind of I do have to repent of that because I've kind of become God. I've kind of told him how I want it fixing. It's very difficult to find peace in that situation because your peace depends on the outcome. But true peace comes from being able to say, Lord, whatever happens, I will trust you. Whatever the outcome, you are good and you will not leave me. In surrendering the outcome, we find total peace because we are not depending on the result. We're depending upon God himself. In Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered himself and he surrendered the outcome. And on this journey of ours, there'll be bumps in the road. There'll be things that seek to take our peace and pull us off the path. But let the weak acknowledge their weakness, surrender it to the king, and then say, I am strong. If all is not well, let's not pretend that it is. As others join us, let us show them the true resilience that comes from total honesty, total surrender, unconditional love, and steadfast faith. Know that you are absolutely loved. Take time out to reset your compass. Surrender the outcome. We're going to spend the next three minutes and 17 seconds listening to a piece of music. It's by one of my favorite composers, John Rutter.
And whilst we're doing that, you have a choice about what you do. Do you need to surrender the outcome and just give it up to God, whatever it is, and just say, whatever happens, Lord, I'm trusting you. Do you need to take time out to reset your compass? Maybe you're a bit irked with someone because you just can't control what they do and actually you fear for them and what might happen. Or maybe you just need to sit and enjoy the unconditional, wonderful, overwhelming, complete love of God. Let's just enjoy the next few minutes just listening to this music together.